You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brent McMillan. Welcome to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Brett McMillan, and today is a Flashback Friday conversation with 2006 World Series MVP, David Eckstein. The pitch to Eckstein, a swing, and the ball is lined to left, and on the run, a diving effort, off Monroe's glove toward the warning track. Backed up by Granderson, Miles scores, Eckstein is on second, the Cardinals lead 5-4. to four. I told you they were cheating in too much, and that cheating in by the outfielders cost them. He got his glove on it, but it went off the webbing. They were all in trying to throw someone out, and David Eckstein made them pay. Yes, he did. He made a lot of people pay during his Cardinals career. Only here from 2005 to 2007, but really endeared himself to the fans with his hustle and grit. He's a guy who likely wouldn't even get a look at shortstop in today's game, quite frankly. That spot has become about big bats and big bodies, and at 5'6", 170, Eckstein plainly had neither. But played hurt, played smart, played tough, and all that won him the World Series MVP in 2006. You'll hear a neat story about what he did with the car he was awarded for that MVP. That's coming up in just a bit. But before we get into the interview, want to remind you that there's some awesome stuff coming up here at Bush Stadium, including the chance to spend your Labor Day at the ballpark. That's Monday, September the 6th, as the Cardinals host the Los Angeles Dodgers. That day, 30,000 fans ages 16 and older will take home their very own Victory Blue hooded pullover, courtesy of the Shane Company. Great seats remain. Albert Pujols rolling back into town. For tickets or more info, visit cardinals.com slash promotions. All right, let's get it going. It's team historian Brian Finch. Always does a great job with these interviews and events over at the museum. He's sitting down with former Cardinals shortstop, World Series champion, and World Series most valuable player, David Eckstein. All part of a Flashback Friday, and you're listening to it right now on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Well, it's a real treat today. It's always fun on home weekends to have Cardinals alumni in the house here at the Cardinals Museum. And uh, what a special treat today to have the 2006 World Series MVP and two-time All-Star, David Eckstein. Let's give him a warm round of applause. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Right. And uh, we do this as a podcast. Most of you know, um, if you think you miss anything, uh, please feel free to join back in later on cardinals.com slash insider. I must give a quick shout out to our friends and sponsors with Budweiser Zero. So David will be back signing tomorrow with Saturday signings. But um, we're sitting right here next to a wonderful award for the people that aren't here to see this in person. But uh, you won this in 2006, (laughs) your World Series MVP. And just walking into the museum, and seeing this for the first time because you've loaned it to us uh, for about a year and a half now or almost two years what's what's your first feeling now being back in st louis and seeing this award well first and foremost um i am so happy that i did because you guys cleaned it and it looks so much better <laughs> yeah right there thank you so much yeah, yeah. You, um you couldn't even read it when i sent it in could you <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I've, I've given the trophy and it, it sat at my mom and dad's, you know, for since 06. Mm. And so then I got asked to if I would um, be able to loan it to you guys. And I was like, yes. I go, the first time I was like, do you guys clean it? And then they're like, yes, we do. We do. I was like, I'm in. I'm in. You guys can have it. No, it, it definitely brings back so many, so many memories. Um, like I was just saying in an interview before, it's, it's never thought of ever winning the World Series MVP because being such a so team-driven and team-oriented, it was all about winning the World Championship. And then, you know, and I, and I, I promise you at the time, it, it didn't really even sink in. I was like, oh, that's great, you know, that, that you won. Um, but I was so in through, you have the ring on. That's, that's what you fight for right there. You fight for the ring. And so, but since you're done playing and you're retired and you have a chance to look back, no, it's definitely so special and brings up so many good memories and stuff. And yeah, I'm very fortunate to have won it. And I've said this many a times, there was a certain catcher that probably should have won it as well. You know, Yachty had such a great series. And not only with the bat, but what he did with the pitching staff and help, you know, the games he called, you know. So, you know, I, I you know, I was fortunate I was chosen, but, like, it could have been a number of us. Well, we're going to talk about that World Series for a little bit. I do want to give a quick shout-out to our museum collection. You mentioned Yachty and the bat, and – you may not know this. We can walk around later. We, you'll be back tomorrow. We might be able to walk around a little bit. We actually have Yachty's bat <laughs> that he hit the home run with in Game 7 uh, to get to the World Series. So it's a great piece. And then we actually have one of your World Series jerseys, your road jersey. I know you had a few jerseys. You know, every player has a few jerseys. But it's fantastic um, that you, as a player, and that your teammates, that y'all care about the team. And ultimately that you're caring, and when I say that as a franchise, as an organization, and that you care about our fans because our fans are coming back. Um, they have their stories. You have your stories. But when everybody comes together and, and that you are able to keep some things, but the players can, can give one thing or a, a piece here or there and have these milestones that we can all share together, it makes for a great um, – that's really the team coming together in a bigger picture, right? No, no totally. It's – you know – Everyone always says, you hear it all the time, you know, St. Louis has the best fans. And I can tell you, I've been around, and you guys are. And it's not the fact that you show up every day. It's the fact that you treat the 25th guy like they are the superstar. And that's something that um, doesn't happen on every club. And it's, it's one of those things that when you come into this city, um, it's just different. It's just totally different. And I still I go back to the time I came in in 2005. And if anybody knows my family history, we were going through all the all the kidney transplants. And at that time, my father was looking for a kidney and actually during that year was able to receive one. But the whole city wrapped um, their arms around my entire family and made us feel so welcome. And that's something that I will never forget. I remember like my, my mom was able to come up during the playoffs um, in 05 and she walked into a department store and the lady saw her credit card and was like, oh my gosh, I've been praying for you. And like my mom just started crying, they hugged. And that, that's, what, that's what a St. Louis Cardinal fan is about. It's, it's actually more than what, what the players do on the field, it's actually becoming part of the community. That's so encouraging to hear. Let's reverse a little bit, rewind a little bit, and talk about your upbringing in baseball, um, getting into the big leagues. As much as I thought I knew your story, there's always a little bit more to learn. And um, for me, just looking even just at your basic baseball reference record page today um, and this week preparing for this interview, uh, 
tell us about getting drafted <laughs> and a little bit about that experience and then making it into the major leagues. Yeah, so, so basically um, I went to the University of Florida. Um, after my junior year, I was all SEC, all American, everything like that, and did not get drafted. And so went back for my senior year. Um, and so and basically repeated the same thing. But you had no idea if you were going to be drafted or not. And so, you know, I actually got an opportunity because Nick Belmonte was running the independent leagues. He called me up. He's like, hey, hey, he was our announcer for University of Florida baseball. And he's like, hey, if you want, you can come work out with an independent league team. If you don't get drafted, then you can um, just, just stay here and play. I actually told him no. I said, if I'm not good enough to get drafted, I need to go to law school because that's what I was, I was preparing to, my degree in. And I thanked him for the opportunity. And so I had no idea. So the day that the draft came along, I went about it. I did my workout at University of Florida, came back home, and all of a sudden, like, I walk in the house and the phone's ringing. And it was, um, it was Luke Wren from the Boston Red Sox. And he's like, I just want to let you know um, the Boston Red Sox had just selected you. And I was like, so soon? <laughs> and so, because it went so quickly nowadays, it takes like days and stuff like that. Because I didn't, no one really understood what the draft was and how long it takes. And he's like, yeah, no, we select you in the 19th round. And so we would love you to join. And I was like, that sounds great. And so, you know, with the negotiations and stuff like that, I signed for $1,000. But my dad goes, he wanted a hat. So, so, so when actually the scout came and picked me up, to drive me to extended spring training. So he came to my house in Sanford, Florida, gave my dad a hat, a Boston Red Sox hat. I got in the car with him, and he drove me to Fort Myers, Florida, where I started my professional career. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. And so you were in the minors with the Red Sox. Yes. And stayed there for a few years. Really thought you were going to have an opportunity with the Red Sox, right? Yes. And didn't, didn't quite work out that way. No, no. Um, everything was going well. Um, basically, um, I go into my AAA season, and I was terrible. I was downright terrible. And for stories of other days, um, <laughs> um, they needed to make a decision on who they keep because they were bringing back uh, – Lou Maloney was coming back. He had played in Japan. He had come back, and they were putting him on the 40-man roster spot. And the way it was explained to me – Dan Duquette and Jimmy Williams were kind of a little bit feuding with each other. Jimmy Williams was the manager. Dan Duquette was the GM. And to get back at Jimmy Williams, um, they took me off the roster and kept Izzy Alcantara on because they knew Jimmy liked me. And, so I, and that's how I was exposed to waivers. And when I got exposed to waivers, that means I was exposed to every other club as long as they were going to put me on their 40-man. And that's how I was claimed by the, um, the Angels. Mm-hmm. Well, that clearly worked out pretty well for you. Uh, you would go to the Angels in 2001. And, of course, if you know David's story and you know Major League Baseball history, in 2002 the Angels would go to the World Series. You had a good season in 2001, but 2002 you really took off. And you were a catalyst to that 2002 World Series team. And what was it like winning the championship for your first time and, and really in your second year as a major leaguer? Um, to be honest, like – with that club, it was, it was one of those clubs that no one really knew about. No one knew our names. And back in the day, you know, they had the prenatal, the New York Yankees and stuff, and they were buying everybody. And so, like, to me, it was so fun. And then there's a, there was another – I have not seen the movie, so don't spoil the ending for me. But there was some movie made about called Moneyball. 
about a team that won a certain numbers in a row, I think, that year. So all the attention was on the Oakland A's. They had won, what, 21 in a row. And that same time period as the Angels, we went 18-3. and three. But we were a team that was just scrappy, scrappy, and, and, and played every single pitch. Um, and we played a style of an offense that put so much pressure on the defense um, that it forced them into mistakes. So it was one of those things that it was very fun to be a part of that club, to win the wild card, to get into the playoffs, and then go into the Yankee Stadium. It's still one of my favorite moments of all time was because of when I was a little boy, my dad's favorite team was the New York Yankees, and he took me when I was five years old to Yankee Stadium. And I remember we had nose, nosebleed seats um, looking over. Rick Cerrone hit a home run to win. But Billy Martin was the manager, and he got thrown out that game. So, <laughs> so, it, <laughs> so it, was, it was very interesting. And, and to be in the postseason, standing at shortstop, playing God Bless America was pretty surreal. And then beating the Yankees, beating the Twins, and then having the opportunity to go into San Francisco and beat the Giants with Barry Bonds. Mm -hmm. To win your first champion, I mean, it makes, you know, they talk about like, oh my gosh, sacrifice this. I, I promise you, there's not a party you would miss out on. There's nothing a friend you would miss out on to have the opportunity to be standing on the field, last one standing on the field. And that moment um, solidified, that's what I wanted to do and I wanted to do it again. So at that point, you have to assume as a player, living through that experience, you just talked about the sacrifice, you're gonna be an angel for life, right? <laughs> yes, isn't that how it mean, right? Team loyalty, right? This okay. is the man for yeah. team loyalty. Oh my gosh, yes. And two years yes. later, you find yourself in free agency right. and, and I, need a place to play, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know I mean, I'm actually working on more of, I, I, I did a kid's book um, throughout um, in 02, then again in 06, but I'm, more, I'm working on more of a uh, adult version of it and stuff like this. And I kind of write in the sense of it's like when you break up with your girlfriend. Because you think it's going to be forever <laughs> until she tells you that <laughs> um, um, it's not you, it's me. You know? should, so, I, should, so. should I caution you that your wife is standing right over I know, here she, when we're talking about breaking up with girlfriends? Yeah, she, she lived it with me. But, it, but when you write it, because it's... it's, it's All right, it's so like, we're good on that, though, Oh, yeah, right? no, she's okay, totally right. good. <laughs> yeah, we are totally good. Yeah. Because cause you do, like, like, like you really think you're gonna be with that club the rest of your life. And you, and you hear all the fans talk about, I just wish the players were loyal. I just wish the players were loyal. And I'm, that's one thing my parents taught me, that you're always, that's your first and foremost, team comes first, loyalty. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it, it was a little bit difficult situation, you know? And then all of a sudden, you know I mean? They don't want you anymore. And actually, the words coming out of the mouths were, was, we did not win in 04 because of you, and we're signing Orlando Cabrera. Um, and so I'm saying, Mr. Stoneman, so what you're telling me is that you're going to win because you're making, yes, we are. As I go, and so I said, I wish you the best of luck, and I hung up the phone. Hmm. So that was our conversation. So let's talk about the positive change right. that what, came after that. So, so, so all of a sudden, I'm a free agent. And what people don't know, at that time, my dad was very sick. He was actually in the ICU. Mm. And so I really couldn't even talk. So he goes into the ICU, you know, kind of let him know that I've been, you know, basically now I'm a free agent. The angels do not want me back mm. um, to, I think it was 
three days later, two or three days later, I signed a three-year deal with the St. Louis Cardinals. And I was thrilled to death. I was so excited. And even more exciting was the fact that, you know, my first phone call was Tony LaRusso calling me up. And he's like, he's like, David, the one thing about our club is we have a very good club. So we don't need you to be anything other than yourself. Hmm. And that was, those words have stuck with me the rest of my life. And, and I was just so thankful, made me feel comfortable day one. He's like, we have a club that you just will not believe. And I, and until this day, that 05 club was probably the best talented club I've ever played on. So that's really interesting to hear because even going back and watching video clips of you up at the plate Mm -hmm. and how many times and you have to be I, I, I'm assuming you have to be tired of this, but yeah. here's the little guy again. <laughs> here's, you know, they called you just, just enough, just you enough, know, yeah. the, those types of things. Did that ever wear on you or did you use that as motivation? Oh. And then to hear the manager, an, oh. ultimately a Hall of yeah. Fame manager, to say, we just need you to be you. Well, well, Was that a, a change in perspective or attitude? Yeah. Well, I definitely, um, I definitely embraced the little guy. Like, I, like, that's fine. You know what I mean? Yes, I am small. Yes, I'm, you mean, you got to understand, like, my parents were based on reality. They let me know. My dad let me know at an early age. You're not going to be the biggest. You're not going to be the fastest. You're definitely not going to be the strongest. But the one thing you can do is outwork and out hustle everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, like, so that stuff didn't bug me. And I actually embraced that, 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 okay. And if you talk to Tony, the best players always play with a little bit of an edge. There's something there that really, you know, because you're playing 162 in 180 days. So it gives you that little bit of a motivation. Okay, I'm the smallest guy here. Come on, I can compete with you. So that was something that was, um, that, that, you di- that you took. But coming off of the years with, with Anaheim, you know, where, you know, I did not have the best range. I did not have the best arm. I had to be in the right spot, you know, to be able to make the plays and stuff like that. So, yeah, you can get a more athletic player than me. But my goal was if I touch the baseball, you're going to be out. So that's the way I was trying to to play my game and to come into a situation where Tony just goes, just be you. You know, you got a future Hall of Famer playing to your right. He'll take care of those balls in the hole. So you don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. You know, we just need you. and, And that that was very comforting allowed me to go out there to just be myself so for all of the things that the cardinals expected from you i'm sure you really showed them there, there are two moments that stand out to me um being at the ballpark in 2005 the team it's interesting from 2004 2004 the team didn't start off really well we, we like to think oh the team was a juggernaut they turned into a juggernaut and for you not having been here in 04 and then to see, I, I think these guys, we hear Roland, who you just mentioned, that third base, you know, that the third baseman that played just beside you. Um, and, and you lived it with Scott. Scott talks about we had unfinished business after going to the World Series in 04 and, and not getting a win out of that. Right. To come back in 2005 and put up 100 games, you can't start off slow. I mean, you guys started off and, and, you, and you stayed pretty hot. Two moments, though. If I give you this date, August seventh, two thousand five, does that? Do you remember that date? I see you giggling right here. Um, yes, and the only reason why I just did a um, a private signing, and they had these photographs of 
me being celebrated at the at home play, which is the walk off Grand Slam against the Atlanta Braves. And I turned to Joe. Say, say that again. Walk, walk off, off Grand Slam. Slam. Okay, all right. Walk, walk off, off Grand Slam. Slam. Okay. So, and I turned to Joe Pfeiffer, and I'm like, because Joe's standing behind me, I'm like, Joe, you know, that's tomorrow. It's the anniversary of it. So that's the only reason why I okay. knew it was that date. And so, and he he didn't realize it either. So yes, yeah, no, that was a um, very magical day. Um, the funny thing about that story was, I don't know. I know they showed it on TV, but. I did not know about it at the time, so it was bases loaded. I'm going up to play. John Rodriguez on deck, and Albert's like grabbing John Rodriguez's bat, telling him he's not going to need it. Mm-hmm. And the only way the game was going to end was me scoring three, having three guys score. So somehow he knew I was going to do something. He he told him he knew I was basically going to hit a homer. Well, and, and the first one out of the dugout. Jumping like a little kid was Albert. Pujols. Was Albert because he had yeah. just told John, "Throw your bat away." So yeah, so it was, no, it was fantastic. Yeah, and it was against the Braves, who that was my childhood team. So well, and, and then I've got to ask one more date. Then swinging with the hot stick. Twenty days later, August twenty seventh, two thousand five, you hit another home run. Um, I happened to be in the ballpark for that one too. Do you remember? Do you happen to remember that home run? And you had in the post game. I wouldn't say presser, you know, it's just comments at your locker. But you had such a nonchalant answer about this home run, which cracks me up. But you you squared up for a bunt. Oh, yes. And then you pull the bat back, and you hit a home run. Does anybody else remember this moment? Uh, thanks. Thanks, Ashley. Your, your wife does. Yeah. Um, and and then after the game, everybody's like, this is incredible. David Eckstein, you know, square, like fakes the button, hits the home run. And after the game, you're like, yeah, dude, in batting practice all the time. I was just trying to put the ball in the air. And it's like, my gosh, how many pitchers can't even get a bunt down? And uh, why can't we get our guys to do that? I don't know. I okay. want you to talk about okay, this. Okay, so the funny story behind that is the fact that I'll go back to my AAA year. Um, my AAA year, I was my first year on the 40-man. No one knew my name in the Red Sox organization prior to that point. But when you become on, when you get on the 40-man, now everyone kind of wants to put their name on you. And so there was a hitting coach who basically came up to me and said, you know you can't hit that way. And I was like, in the big leagues, I'm like, really? How do you want me to hit? This, this, and this. So I changed for him. And I was hitting below 160. Um, and, and, of course, me not wanting to put any pressure, I just wore it, wore it, wore it. And finally, one day, my brother heard my voice when I talked to him on the phone, and he calls up, he calls up my sister and says, book me a flight. I got to go see me. Um, <laughs> he's, something's wrong. And he's like, well, you're teaching right now. And he's like, I don't care. I'm going to take a leave of absence. He needs me right now. And so he flew up to, I think we were in um, – we were playing the the Yankees. Oh, Toledo? No, not Toledo. Um, wherever the Yankees. Oh gosh, I forget exactly. But but maybe Toledo. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. And so, um, and you know, there were the Clippers. The Clum- Clippers. Columbus, Columbus, Clippers. We're in Columbus. Yeah. And so we're in AAA. And so you always have a roommate in AAA. So he's actually behind the bleachers. I mean, behind the garbage dumpster, teaching me how to hit again. Because I never thought about hitting. I just picked up the bat and hit. And so when all of a sudden I was trying to get back to who I was, I had no clue. 
The only way I knew how to get back to where I was was to fake bunt, pull back, and swing. I called it the Happy Gilmore. <laughs> and so, so from that point on, from that point on, so once, so you have, you know, you, my first round, I always tried to hit the hole at first base, like someone's holding on the runner, try to hit a low ground ball. Second round, I tried to hit off the um, L screen. Then the last rounds, you just swing. And every last swing of each round, I would fake bunt and hit. And it was the only time I could hit the ball like way further than any time that I just stood in there. So I, I would call it like my home run round. So I always <laughs> would hit home runs when I did that. So bring into this game, if I could fake the bunt, I would try to hit it as hard as I can down the third baseman's throat. You know what I mean? Because he's charging in if I can hit it low. But the problem was that every time I did that in BP, it was a home run. So when I did it in the game <laughs> against, what was it, Mike Stanton, I think? And it, was in, it, it was in and it was RFK against, Stadium. It was against the Nationals. Yeah, yeah. it was at RFA, RFK Stadium. Oh, maybe that was, yeah. I'm yeah. Wrong. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong, misremembering myself. Yeah, I remember that, that happening, yeah. though, and it's like, he fakes bunt, he fakes yeah. the bunt, hits the and, home and it's and like, so, this yeah. is amazing. And to be honest, probably one of the coolest moments I had because I love doing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jason Marquis had a great game. That was oh, yes. a big, yeah. And he may have been on base, and you scored yeah. him. So, anyway. All right, so the team gets to the National League Championship Series. Doesn't end the way we want. How does that motivate you going into 2006? Um, to, I mean, to be, it was it was very difficult, you know, because I thought you were going to go off another special home run that that year when Albert hit the three run home run. Well, you can you and, can yeah, take oh us there. God. That's all yeah. right. So like, like so you know you're playing and you know you're down and all of a sudden Albert hits a three run home run and we're and we're leading and then we end up winning game five. I promise you, the only thought was that we were going to win the World Series. You mean that's the only that's the only storybook, you know? You write after that, and so when we come up and we actually lose Game Six to Roy Oswalt, I mean, it was it was one of those things like, oh my gosh, like how how that just happen? And and go back to what I said before in the O2, like when you win the World Series and you make it to the World Series, anything less than that, it it, it just like. It throws you, like my wife will tell you, like into like almost about a month where you don't even function because, you know, you, you feel like that's what you're supposed to do. You mean the fans have supported you so much and that's what you want to give them as well. Um, so going into 06, yeah, you know, it was one of those things that's, it's, it's like, you know, you really want to do that, but also to become part of the rich tradition that St. Louis has. So we get into 2006. And you talked about that 2005 club specifically being one of the most talented teams you've ever been on. Um, 2006 didn't quite turn out <laughs> that way. Wasn't quite the juggernaut that you'd been a part of the year before. Uh, so talk us through a little bit about just even getting into the playoffs. I mean, yeah, so, so basically, you know, the, about the first two months, we were very good. We were one of the best teams in the league. And then all of a sudden, like, the injury bug hit. And, you know, people were going down. I mean, personally, I had um, the concussions. Then I, um, um, I ripped my oblique off the bone. Then I finally come back with 10 games left to play. And then on that Sunday night game facing Clemens, I hit a ball, thinking it's in the gap. And I take off, I pull my hamstring. Um, so it was one of those things that we knew if we got healthy, we would be okay. But at that point, we were about to make baseball history as being the team 
to have the biggest lead and not make the playoffs. And I think that was more running through everyone's minds is a sense of like, we just got to find a way to get in. And, and fortunately enough on that final day, um, Atlanta was able to beat Houston. I think it was around the seventh inning. Mm -hmm. We were in the dugout and we were all like, yes. And so um, having the ability to be in the playoffs, it was one of the first times we actually, Tony was able to write out more of a normal lineup in that first game in San Diego. And the way the playoff system is set off with the days offs, it allowed us to sort of be back to who we were. I remember going out to San Diego. I wasn't there. Obviously, you were. And a uh, couple of key things in that series, and you were on the field to witness it, but Piazza dropping a foul, you know, behind the plate. Right. Albert getting another another pitch, and he, you know, Hits it out. pops that for a home run. I remember Josh Kinney being huge, you know, this kind of unknown guy in the bullpen, and I forget who he struck out. Maybe it was Brian Giles, but Giles literally jumped to get out of the way and swung at the same time. I mean, crazy things yeah. started to happen, and – and uh, and then your you know double play tandem in the infield Belliard you know just kind of comes out of nowhere and you guys start making you know magic happen. Well, yeah, I mean Ronnie's Ronnie's play. I think it was against was it Mark Bellhorn hit the ball up the middle that he makes the play with the bases loaded. Mm -hmm. I mean I think everyone tells you that was like the turning point that really it sent us on our way. And and after that game, you know Jim Edmond started the the corny thing of giving out a game ball. You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh, that's Little League. And we fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. We all – and he stands up on the table and gives it to Ronnie Belliard from that point on. Everyone wanted to earn that game ball at the end of the day because of Jimmy. And, you know, but that's that's stuff that, you know, he was such a leader within the clubhouse and, and knowing the right moments to to stand up and say something. But, yes, um, no, he was very, very lucky to have him as a teammate. So let's circle back to the comment about Tony – telling you to just be yourself in the 2006 world series you being yourself 364 batting average three doubles four rbis 500 slugging percentage and an 891 on base percentage uh you of yadi of scott Rowland, who also had a great series but you were voted world series mvp and you were the one that led the cardinals um, to that 10th world series championship it was an incredible performance and there was one play um, that, in kind of an ironic sense in Cardinals history that stood out, the game four double, the first double, <laughs> you had two doubles in that game, but that really, um, there were great performances around the, the, the team. We mentioned, you know, Molina, Roland, um, Reyes's performance, you know, to get the, the club going there with the, the first game. But um, the, the double, when Granderson slips in the outfield, and you know your Cardinals history, but a lot of um, fans that remember the 1968 World Series when Kurt Flood slipped in Game 7, and some believe that that may have been the, the – that was the turning point, whether or not it's fair towards Kurt Flood, but, you know, he, he slips. Um, and that really gave the, the Tigers the opportunity to, to steal that game or get that win, and that was the, the, the World Series. And here you hit a ball that – if we're honest with us, right, you just said it should have been caught. But uh, Granderson slips, we take advantage, and then you put the nail in the coffin with uh, the double later in the game that was the, really the, the winning runs um, or driving them in. Uh, what does that mean for you? You know, and did you, do you think about those things from a history perspective, or is it just, just part of the game? Yeah, no, no totally, totally. And, yes, um, if, you're, if you play for the Cardinals, you know about 1968 and Kurt Flood. 
um, slipping in center field. And then, and then all of a sudden, it was like a role reversal, and that happens. And you think that there is something magical going on here and that something is occurring. And a friend of mine had the opportunity to talk to Kurt Gran- uh, Curtis Granison a couple of years ago. And to this day, that's the one play he will not forget the rest. Of, like, what? Is, it's like, oh, my gosh, if I could have just stayed on my feet in St. Louis, hmm. you know. And so it is something, but it, it goes down in history. Like, you would never thought it would happen in 68. And then roll reverse in 06. So it was, you know, I'm glad we were on the other end of it. <laughs> um, but, I mean, this game is funny, and there's – mysterious things that goes on and how it syncs up with other things of the past and if you're a real history buzz i don't know if you listen to tim kirchin at all like he would go through all this stuff but that type of stuff is it's pretty cool to actually now be a part of absolutely you would play here in 2007 had three uh, outstanding seasons for us as i mentioned uh, to start here two-time all-star 2005 and 2006 um, and then 2007 wasn't quite the team that we had the first two years you were here, um, but we had three great campaigns with you and a uh, wonderful time here in St. Louis. You would um, move on and have uh, a wonderful career throughout both leagues and um, finish off. I want to hit you with a few other quick questions here. Uh, just kind of overview. In terms of looking back at your career, your major league career, your Cardinals career, I'll let you take the choice. Uh, what are you most proud of? What stands out? Um, if, if, if I'm being totally honest, mm-hmm. the biggest thing about the, about this game is, and it's something that my dad always taught me, like just because you play, it doesn't change who you are. And so the ability of being the same person as you walk into the league as when you walk out of the league, um, I would say, I mean, cause my agent asked, asked me this question when I told him that I was going to re- that I was done playing, I was retiring. And, and to me is the fact that um, walking in the same person that I walked out as, you know, because the only thing that you have in this game is your reputation and how you treat people. And so I wanted to be that person that, that you know, um, and my family would never let me change anyways. But that, that's, that's what it's about. It's about being a good person. And that was, that was probably the, the one thing that I most enjoy about personally about the game. Awesome. Who had the biggest influence on you? Um, like other than like my parents, mm-hmm. first and foremost, you know, what they instilled in me as as a young kid, the work ethic and how you have to go about your, your, your the way you live your life and how that it's on you to achieve your dreams. If you want them, that you can do it. And then and then also like my brother, my brother was there with me um, ever since I was little. Um, you know, help training me and put me in the right position to be successful and stuff. So that was huge. And then I did meet my wife in 03. And okay. so, and you know, she was a huge part in that second half of my career. And funny story. Um, First of all, that's a good answer. As noted, she's in the audience today. <laughs> oh, no. You gotta, like, if you understood my noted. family, like, my dad did not want me to get married. And the number reason, number one reason why was he did not want me to be distracted. <laughs> he did not want me to be distracted at all. And so we get married in, at the, in, in um, November of 05. So to go out the 06 to win the World Series, like, I was worried, but okay, I guess it worked out. Yeah. All right. So. This is being recorded. So. This is being a, for well, a lifetime. That's good. That's right. 
We'll make sure the masses understand. All right, yeah. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Yeah, but uh, you mentioned I might be wrong with this. Okay, fans want to know what happened to the yellow Corvette. Yeah, the yellow Corvette. So that and, and the yellow Corvette. So you win the World Series MVP. You don't just get a shiny trophy. You get the keys to a yellow Corvette that's now underneath the stadium, and I have the keys in my hand, and I don't drive stick, and I don't even know what to do. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So I'm like, what do I do? So I actually left the car there and the keys there, only to find out that it wasn't my car. It was a promo car. So I had to call up. Um, so a month goes by, still no car, no word of it. So my agent calls up, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, your client really wants the car? And he's like, yes, he does. He's never owned his own car. He definitely <laughs> wants this car. And so they actually sent me the, the manual and I could, I could um, they let me pick it out. So I picked black on black and then they gave me, um, and then the brakes are red. So the inner brakes are red, but they gave me $5,000 to engrave it as my own. And so we did the World Series um, logo and with my with my MVP signature into both seats. Oh, so yeah. Um, so so yeah. So so and since I do not drive sh uh, stick shift, yeah. Um, and the one thing about my brother, so like growing up as a kid, my brother had like a '65 fastback Mustang. Um, once he went to college, had to sell it. You know, I mean, we did. We were we we didn't have money. You know, five kids in college. You know, three kidney transplants. We did not have money, so he had to sell it to go into college. But he loved those type of cars. So legitimately, when the car showed up in Sanford, Florida, he came down with the dealership. I actually turned it over to him that day. Oh and wow! So That's incredible. Yeah. So he has it in he um, where he lives. Um, just turned last year. Just turned ten thousand miles. So he's. Oh yeah, he treats it. It's in pristine condition. But you did have your autograph on the seats. You, so you yes. left that little reminder. Yes. Yes. The that was a nice touch. Well, it was his idea. Because, oh, you know, okay. you know how sometimes they get the plaques and stuff like that um, that are in the cars and stuff. And Rick's like, no, we're not doing that. And his idea was to do the seats. And so, um, yeah, and I think it turned out very That's nice. That's fantastic. All right. So Corvettes are normally two-seaters. They're two-seaters, right? It's a yeah. sports car. Let's say that it was a four-seater, okay? And you had to pick uh, three teammates to go on a road trip with. Oh. Two, three Cardinals teammates. Oh. Um, we're, we're, we're bringing it around here. We're Bring about to hit the runway. But you had to go on a cross-country road trip, okay? Yeah. Um, who would your three Cardinals teammates be? Um, first and foremost, Jimmy, because Jimmy pays for everything and does such a great job. <laughs> And, and he, he always knows where the entertainment's at. And I think my wife would kill me if I didn't pick Jimmy. <laughs> All right. I love doing that. Um, you know, um, Scott Spezio. Like, like All right. me, me and Spees from back in, back in um, Anaheim as well. Okay. Um, the, the relationship we had. Um, the third, who, who would I go with? That's an interesting one. Um, I'd probably. It sounds like you got the Anaheim connections now, because Jimmy was in yeah, Anaheim. Yeah, but too. yeah, that was before me though. Before, okay. Um, God, Lee, this is hard. Like, I would, I would probably. We're not gonna tell him. The, I'd probably go like, I don't know if you've ever spent time with Scott Rowland, but one of the driest sense of humors mm -hmm. you ever want to be around. So I'd probably say Scotty. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's your your I answer. I know it's my decision. Like, 
I, mean, I, I would love, I would love like Yachty. one of the bullpen guys because they're always the ones sitting around joking and jo- telling stories. Well, like but. that's Randy Flores. I mean, some how is he how is he running this club right now? Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well. Like, um, but um, he was like you're talking about up there with being entertaining. Randy Flo Flo <laughs> had it. Sounds um, good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could go like, I mean, go Albert, go Yachty, you go Adam Wainwright. I mean, I was on the phone with Carpenter today. Um, Wayne, well, Wayne, I'm really rolling too. They're kind of tall, so you got to think about in the car the right. legs. Anyway, yeah, that's we can true. get off track. Well, they're probably put me in the back, this. so that's true. <laughs> Fair enough. Great answer. Okay, finally, last question I have for you: um, What are you up to now? We, tell us a little bit about what your wife. You know, yeah. she's doing her thing. Right, and what's yeah. her thing? So everybody yeah. else knows. So. Um, my wife had started a company called Her Universe. It was a clothing line for s- female sci-fi fans. And she came up in the I- with the idea back in 2008 um, to launch in 2010. But it might seem weird, but at that time, if you, if you were a female and you wanted to buy a sci-fi or fantasy shirt, you were going into the, the boys' sections or the man's section. So she decided, kind of after what um, Alyssa Milano did for the sports, was make a uh, female style shirt cut for female bodies and so basically took that ran with it and i think you see what has happened in that community now like the fandom is huge but the only problem is when you are a small business owner and all the big companies have the license like disney like like you go down the list target you're dealing with all those it was time that it was you know we needed to sell so we actually sold it to a company called Hot Topic. They were a big support of us. And so now it has taken new new legs with that. And she is a consultant for that. But she has originated a character. I don't know if you've heard of it in Star Wars called Ahsoka Tano. Mm-hmm. Um, but people she's, would, she's kind of a big deal. She's kind of a big deal. A lot bigger deal than I am. I can promise you that right now. Um, and it's pretty cool, to be honest. Um, so, um, yeah, so she, she originated and, and voiced the character. And actually, if, if you guys listen carefully in episode nine, when Ray is calling out the past Jedis, you actually hear her voice. So her voice was actually, she actually um, did that in episode nine. And so now that character is one of the most popular characters in the Star Wars universe. And so I'm just holding on. She does stuff with Disney as well, so holding on for the ride right now. So what I'm hearing is that you're kind of a trophy husband. Um, so <laughs> is that fair to say? Well, with, with a lot of shine, yes. Um, <laughs> I know the um, feeling. You know, like so, this past weekend she had a convention in Raleigh, North Carolina, and my badge actually said sidekick. So I'm the sidekick. <laughs> so. I, I want it bag carrier because I think I could be a very good professional bag carrier. Okay. All right. Well, it's been great having you here. Thank you so much for coming back to town. It's our pleasure having the 2006 World Series MVP back at the Cardinals Museum. Let's give a round of applause for David Eckstein. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. All right. Special thanks to Brian and David for a great conversation. I got to tell you, we spent some time with David Eckstein for a TV feature that's coming out here. Uh, You can check it out on YouTube starting August 23rd. It'll be hitting the internet. But David Eckstein couldn't be a nicer, more down-to-earth guy. Really got the most out of his body, got the most out of his talent and ability. A great ball player, a great Cardinal. Really neat to see him roll back through St. Louis, and we appreciate all those awesome stories and insights that David had to share with Brian. 
Hey, want to let you know that on Wednesday, September the 8th, the Cardinals host the Dodgers, and that night we will celebrate cancer awareness. With the purchase of a special themed ticket, fans will receive a Cardinals Cancer Awareness t-shirt, and a portion of each ticket sold will be donated back to cancer research at Siteman Cancer Centers. Tickets and more details at cardinals.com slash theme. Again, that is a special theme ticket, so cardinals.com slash theme. Some great work uh, and a great way to get involved in the fight against cancer. Thanks for your support of this program. If you like it, if you like what we do, we really appreciate you, and we would really appreciate a positive rating or review. That is a tremendous help in keeping the show going, keeping this content coming, and making sure that we are locked in and telling you Cardinal stories for much time to go. So it just takes a minute, but uh, it is a big help to us if you leave a positive rating or review. You can also send us an email. I really do read them. I get back to you. It is podcast with an S at cardinals.com. Until next time, for Brian Finch and David Eckstein, I'm Brett McMillan. So long. This has been the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.